0: Well, again, good morning, good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're all here with us. And uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series today uh, called Easter Eggs, uh, and it's called Traces of Jesus Across Time. And and specifically, uh, we're going to lead up to Easter, looking at different things uh, from the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills them. And so the reason um, it's called Easter Eggs is this idea that, you know, if you watch um, TV shows or movies or things like that, there's often these things called Easter eggs that um, are pointing or They're either like really cool trivia things just little things that the animators or the directors included in there um, and they, uh, just if you look for them, it's like the idea of an Easter egg hunt you know, you you have something that you look for, it's small and, and you find it and there's, you know, in real life it's like candy or, you know, whatever um, but it's this idea that you're looking for something and they, there's value when you find it and so these little these little nuggets these little things inside of movies and TV shows are, are called Easter eggs because it's the same idea you look for something small uh, but it enriches the experience and it builds it up and it just it' just a lot of really cool connections that happen there and so what I want to do is introduce the series by looking at a couple of examples that we see in movies and then explaining how that impacts where we're going with this series for the next four weeks leading up to Easter and so uh, some Easter eggs you see in movies are just really cool trivia things the first one uh, is for those of you who We've seen Apollo 13, uh, the story of the Apollo 13 space crew that uh, is supposed to land on the moon. There's an explosion that happens, and they survive. They make it back. I know there's spoiler alert, but that thing happened, like, decades ago. So, And the movie came out in 95, so I don't feel that bad about it. But uh, one of the things that's really cool about kind of one of the closing montage scenes is the fact that as Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks, uh, is walking through, and it's kind of like in movies that are based on true stories when they say this is what happened to these different people in real life. And he has, like, kind of his, like, slow motion, like, walking off of the ship, and he's, like, saying hi to people. While he's doing that, there's a scene in which a gentleman who's, who's in an officer's uniform, uh, he goes over and he shakes G- uh, Jim Lovell's hand, and he looks at Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks looks at him, shakes his hand, and that gentleman who was shaking Tom Hanks' hand is the actual Jim Lovell. It's the actual man whose this whole story was based after, but it was an opportunity to kind of highlight him as part of the movie. It's just something small, not a big deal, but it adds value when you know it. Uh, The other ones that you uh, may not be aware of is if you watch Star Wars, Uh, like me, i am currently been trying to watch all of Star Wars, like from episode one all the way through, and, uh, you know, I'm including like the cartoon series, so I'm getting into it and it's fun. Uh, But in episode one, uh, there's a part where there's this huge scene where it's all these different uh, alien races from everywhere and in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see uh, three aliens that look very much like E.T. So it's the same, you know, they're little Easter eggs. It's not necessary to be in there, but George Lucas, who uh, wrote Star Wars, and Steven Spielberg uh, went to film school together and so they would cross, uh, they do Easter eggs for one another within their own movies. We also see, if you follow Pixar at all, uh, you'll know that there are uh, little Easter eggs throughout all the movies that have a reference to uh, the letter letter A113. So A113, because that was the classroom where uh, many of the directors and the the people who started Pixar, where they learned about digital animation. And so A113 is found in several of the movies. There's a few examples on the screen for you there. Um, But it's something that you'll see throughout or you'll hear it mentioned or talked about. But those are just ones that are kind of interesting. And then there's some, keeping in the Pixar, uh, Pixar universe, the Pixar world, uh, there are some that are pointing to what's coming next. So what Pixar does is that in all of their movies, there is an Easter egg, something small, that is pointing to the next Pixar movie coming out. And it's been something they've consistently done. Um, so a couple of examples that we have that we're talking about today is the fact that um, For Monsters, Inc., which came out in 2003, there is uh, a time when uh, they're inside the sushi restaurant, and the um, there's an octopus who's like the sushi chef, using all eight arms, legs, tentacles. I don't know, but they're using all of them in order to make the sushi. But on the corner, or on the on the picture behind them, on the wall behind them, uh, is a clownfish, which is what's pointing to Finding Nemo being the next Pixar movie. Then you go to Finding Nemo and there's a scene in which they're in the dentist's office, and there's a, a, a son and his parent waiting in the dentist's office in order to um, you know, wait for their time, and the dentist is where Nemo ended up being in the aquarium for, and the boy who's reading a, a magazine, reading a comic book, and it has an advertisement for Mr. Incredible, because Incredibles was the next Pixar movie, so... We're not going to go through Easter eggs every single week, but we wanted to paint the picture as to why are we talking about Easter eggs and what does it mean that these are traces of Jesus across time? Well, especially for those last two examples, when it's something that is hidden inside, in this case, a movie that points to the next movie, it's something that is hidden that places value and points to what's coming next. And as we look at the Old Testament, as we take time over the next four weeks, including this week and culminating at Easter, we're going to look at little traces of how Jesus is, things that point to Jesus from the Old Testament that will be fulfilled in the New Testament. That sometimes people will say things like, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, that he's there, but you need to look for him. And the New Testament is Jesus revealed. And so this idea of where is it, what what passages, what ideas, what places of theology, what prophecies from the Old Testament do we learn about that will be fulfilled and pointed to when it comes to Jesus and how he um, encapsulates all those things? Because I think as Christians, for us Christians, it's It could be easy for us to think that we, you know, we want to focus on the New Testament and the Old Testament, you know, it's good to know about, but the Old Testament is rich in history about who God is and about how he shows up to God's people and how he interacts and works and moves. And so we would be remiss if we don't look through the Old Testament and learn about it and dive into it so that when we read about the fulfillment in the New Testament, it's all the richer and all the more meaningful once we do. And so I'm gonna ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for this new series and then as we specifically talk about God sending Jesus as our life giver uh, for our series this morning, our sermon, excuse me, this morning. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are here in this place, wherever this place is. For those of us who are meeting outdoors, this place is our parking lot, God, and you meet us here. For those who are watching online, God, that wherever they are is the place that you want to meet them today. I pray, God, that as we get ready to learn and dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every person who hears my voice, God. And I pray that each and every person who hears my voice will know, if nothing else, how much you love them and how important they are to you, and how deeply you want to draw closer to them in relationships. So God, we give this time up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our main verse for today, or at least our, or the verse that's going to structure where we are, uh, is going to be from 1 Corinthians 15. But if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to ask actually have you turn to Romans 5. Uh, which is the New Testament? It's the um, sixth book in the New Testament, and then also Genesis three, briefly, which is the very first book in the whole Bible. And so, um, I'm going to give you those verses to kind of have your have a you know bookmark or something to look at. But First Corinthians 15 is the verse that is kind of going to paint this contrast between Adam, who Gen- we learn we'll learn more about in Genesis three, and then Jesus, who in this case we're going to be learning more about in Romans five. And so. The sermon title is called The Life Giver because Jesus didn't just come to live on earth. He lived a perfect life on earth and he died a horrible death. But he did that so that he could give us life, eternal life. That Jesus in in John 17 talks about how eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the son who was sent by the father, that knowing Jesus is eternal life. And he came to give us life that for many of us, it's, we think about, um, and if you've been on social media, if you've been watching the news, if you've been, you know, you know, connected at all this past week, you've been reminded in various uh, arenas in how it was a year ago that, the pandemic really hit our country and things shut down. And it was March 15th of last year that Pastor Evan was preaching through Jonah and we were indoors and it was our first Sunday of not really knowing what this all looked like. And so it was, you know, it was so different. And that was, that was a year ago, it was 52 weeks ago. And a lot has changed in that time. And yet God, his faithfulness, his love, his sovereignty, his power has not. But we look back because for some of us in this year, this has been a year where we're we're living but we're we're barely surviving. We're just making it through. We're we're trying to get through one day at a time because there's so much stress, there's so much change, there's so much anxiety, there's so much difficulty. There's so much weighing on us that we're just we're just trying to live. We're just trying to make it through and it's hard sometimes to face these difficulties, to face what it's like to be a student trying to do school from distant learning or being a student who's just not connected to their friends anymore. To have coworkers and people who are going through difficulties that people of losing jobs, marriages that are dissolving kids who are rebelling troubles that are happening. And it's, we just are trying to hold on and just grin and bear it, white knuckle it through a difficult season. But now it's been a year and you can only white knuckle things for so long. We, You can try to grin and bear it, but then what ends up happening is you lose the grin and you just try to bear it. That we get to a point where we're all just trying to we're trying to live through it, but then we try to find these, these rays of sunshine, these moments that give life to us. The other day I was at Panera picking up uh, lunch for Elise because it was like two o'clock and she... Was very particular about what she wanted for lunch, and so because Panera's tomato soup is way better than anything we have, apparently. Um, but she wanted, you know, she wanted to have Panera there, so we I got Panera, I got coffee there, and as I was waiting for the food, um, in walks Dan Lewis, who was picking up a coffee order, and it was one of those moments. I was on the phone uh, with my dad, and I saw Dan very briefly and said hi to him. And it was just a small thing because it was the first time that I can remember, the first time in like a year when I accidentally ran into somebody out in public, right? Because if you see somebody now, you have to be very intentional. You're planning it ahead. You're like, okay, you know, we'll meet outside or we'll go and, and we will, um, whatever, we'll be social distance. We'll make it work. You intentionally plan something, but to just run into someone, it almost, almost felt like normal, like it almost felt like we could just be running into people now. And so I sent him a text, I was like, it was so good to see, he was like, this must mean the pandemic's over. And I'm like, nope, I wish, you know, but this idea of we feel like that breathed life because it's this moment in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of just trying to survive and make it through and grin and bear it and white knuckle it. It's a moment to say, okay, there's, we can receive life by being with one another, by connecting and, and God allows for opportunities for us to still have hope, when things seem hopeless, to still have peace in the midst of chaos, to still have joy in the midst of sorrow, and to still know his love in a world that feels unloving. That we, Wherever you are today, you are in a place where maybe you just feel like you're grinning and bearing it. Or maybe you're in a place where you feel like you're receiving life. And wherever you are, all of us will fall under two, one of those two categories in this moment. And we see these two categories listed out or, or, or um, contrasted in 1 Corinthians 15.45. That says this. Excuse me. It says this. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That the first, life was, the first Adam was Adam, the first man was Adam, and he was given life. He, was, he received life because God formed him and created him in the midst of creation, that he was made in the image of God, and he was created and lived, and he, was, he had everything. He was the first Adam, and he is a living being. He was someone who was made alive. And so we see how in Romans chapter 5, what happens is that Adam, he ends up, uh, he has everything. He has creation. He has a job to do to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to work the land. He gets to name all the animals. He gets to be able to um, be experience relationship with his wife, with Eve. He gets to be able to experience God walking amidst them in the garden. And yet there's only one rule, and the one rule is to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's this idea of, you know, why, why were there even rules? Like, why did that even have to happen? But in order for love to be the top priority, for, in order for people to choose to love God, there had to be a choice in order to decide whether they'd obey or not. Because you can't just force someone to love you and have that be genuine love. But rather, it's it's there's a choice. You choose every morning if you're go, how you're going to love your spouse. You choose every morning how you're going to love your friends. You choose how you're going to love your siblings or your parents or whoever it may be, your classmates. You have to choose that because if you're forced to love someone, we all know how that doesn't actually equate, equate into loving them. And so. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is there because that is the choice that Adam and Eve had to make, that they heard God say, do not eat out of that tree. And would they choose to trust, love, and obey God, or would they choose to do what they wanted to do? Well, as we see in Genesis 3, the serpent, he he deceived Eve. She took a bite, handed it to Adam, who was there with her. He took a bite. And then they recognized their own nakedness and their own shame because their eyes were open and they saw their own sin. And notice again, notice that when we talk about Romans 5, as we get through this passage, Paul doesn't blame Eve for this. Adam blames Eve, right? In typical male fashion of just blaming someone else, right? It's typical and human fashion, really. But blaming his wife, well, you know, sure, the wife that you put here with me, she's the one that did it. But Adam does not get off easy here. Adam is the one that Paul contrasts and said, Adam, what Adam was meant to do, to be the one that gives us life or the one who received life, that was what we were supposed to experience, that kind of life. And yet through the sin of Adam, not the sin of Eve, the sin of Adam, we all experience difficulty. So let's read specifically verse 12 in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Very simply put, Adam, who was created to have a relationship with God we could only hope and dream for here on earth, chose to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that he shouldn't have, that he chose not to listen to of love and obey God, chose to allow the, the deception to take hold of his life, and through that sin, all of us have been infected with sinfulness. There is none who is righteous on their own. No, not one. And the wages of sin, if you were to, if sin were there and you were to receive payment for sin. The payment for sin is death. So the wages of sin is death that Romans 5 talks about, that sin entered the world through one man who's Adam, and that death came and entered the world through that sin. So Adam had everything, was created to be able to experience this relationship with God, chose sin, and now all of us have this shadow of sin hanging over us if we're not surrendering our lives to Jesus if we don't trust in Jesus to be our Lord and our leader. Because God made things, this is the gospel in four points, God loves us and he created things good. We were meant to have a good relationship with him. We were meant to be in his image and it was meant to be good. But step two is that we blew it. And no, you and I were not in the garden, but you and I would still have sinned too we all fallen short and now because of adam sin has been infected into the very nature of people throughout all of time and and we may not like that we may not agree with that but if we're honest we have we can't help but see it to be true and so through the first adam the first adam we see that his life brought death the first adam's life Brought death. He was a living being, he was giving life, he chose to sin, and through that sinful nature, death came for him and for all of us. This is not the part of the gospel we love to talk about, but it's a part of the gospel that's necessary for us to understand the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so, we see, we're going to continue on in Romans 5, 13, and 14. To be sure, in verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Then verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. And we're going to unpack that word pattern for a moment because it's this idea of it's, we think a pattern as like red, yellow, blue, red, yellow, blue, red, yellow, what comes next? Blue, right? Like that's what we think of patterns to be. And so it's not just this pattern that's a sequential um, recurrence that repeats itself. This p- idea of pattern is the word in the Greek is this idea of a type. It's something that points to something that's gonna come later. It's, it's a, a prophecy, it's an Easter egg. It's something that points to something that would be fulfilled later on. And so the first Adam through which sin entered the world is a type for the one to come. It's a pattern. It's a pointing to who is to come. And why is that? It's because the first Adam's life brought death. The first Adam was the one who was supposed to experience the life that we all long to have because the life we are created to have is far more than what many of us are experiencing. And by that, I don't mean fate or fame. I don't mean wealth. I don't mean popularity. Those are not promised to us in scripture. What's promised to us is that when we recognize Jesus as Lord and leader of our lives and we trust in him and we confess him as Lord and leader of our lives, that we have a relationship that is deep, that it saves us from our sin, that we have hope when things are hopeless. We have peace when there's chaos. We have joy when there's sorrow. and We have love in a world that's unloving. We have this hope that is like an anchor to our souls when they're surrounding us are storms that are battering us on all sides. So we're meant to have this life with God. And so what we see here is that Jesus fulfills the pattern that Adam originally was meant to fulfill. He fulfills the pattern because the first Adam, as we said, the first Adam's life brought death. But now let's talk about the last Adam. Who is Jesus and why is this important? to our discussion today. How does Jesus fulfill that which Adam was supposed to fulfill decade, or Excuse me, thousands of years later? So we're going to continue on verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, which is Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gifts that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. What does that mean? That means that Adam received judgment after one sin, and yet God loved each and every one of you, each and everyone throughout all of history. He loved people so much that he sent Jesus after all of that sin, after all the decades and centuries and millennia of sin, he loves so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, chapter eight. So that's only what, six, seven, eight verses prior to what we're reading today is the gospel saying that while we were still sinners, we are incapable of bridging the gap that occurred when we blew it. That when God is here and We are over here because of our sin. There's a gap, there's a chasm that we cannot bridge with our popularity. We cannot bridge with our money. We cannot bridge with our possessions. We cannot bridge with our grades. We cannot bridge with our careers. We cannot bridge through our own goodness. It's only through the goodness of God that we sang about earlier that he runs after us, that he longs to establish relationship with us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a demonstration of God's love. We didn't earn it. We never can. But we can receive it and share it with others. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, again, this is Adam. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 said that, so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And as we just read at the end of Romans five seventeen, it's Jesus gives life. Adam was created, and he was living. Jesus is creator, and he gives life. That when we are struggling and we are not experiencing the life we're called to have, the enemy will come to steal and to kill and destroy. I was in a small group. Uh, we have the Zoom small group on Wednesday nights and we talked about how the enemy, we're reading through the temptation of Christ. And it was interesting because one of the things that the, the the devil would do to Jesus was like, if you are the son of God, go do this really cool thing. Go, you know, go make the the, bread, the stone turn to bread or go jump off of uh, the tower and, and you know, angels will rescue you. I mean, if you are the son of God, go do this thing and show them. Show people who you are. What does what is, what is the devil try to do? And I know not everyone believes in this stuff, but, but let me, what does the devil try to do? He wants to cause us to question our identity in Christ. He says, if you are the son of God, do this. Now, Jesus knew who he was. There there was no temptation to like fall into, you know, oh, maybe I'm not the son of God. No, he knew who he was. But sometimes we often forget who we are in Christ. That in Genesis 3, the serpent deceives by just asking questions. Did God really say you couldn't eat out of any tree? No, that's not what he said. They respond like, no, 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 no. We can eat out of the tree, just, just not that one. Well, you're not going to die if you eat off of that tree, the serpent replies. God just doesn't want you to become like him. And so we buy into this lie that we can't trust God. He's holding back on us. So we think, someone asks, well, did, did God really say that you couldn't do this in his word? Does God really want you to live that way? Does God really fill in the blank?" And then we get to a point where then we start questioning. Because if if the devil, if he just tried to do an all-out assault, what would we do? For those of us who have our relationship with God, we put on the armor of God, right? We put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, the peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. We're ready to go to battle. It's not the forward, the full frontal battle that you're worried about. It's those small being outflanked on the side when you're not ready. Did God really say that? Are you Really? a child of God, because you're not acting like it. You're not doing these things that Christians should be doing. You must not love Jesus. And then we let those falsehoods worm their way into our ears and bury themselves into our souls to the point where then we look back on our lives weeks, months, years later, and we recognize how far we've really gone and slid away from him. Because we believe the lies. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the devil, when he speaks his native language, is lying. So we contrast that. That idea that Jesus brings us life. He gives life. But with the enemy, with the serpent, he, in Genesis 3, we see that he, um, there are curses that came down. And the, one of the, the curse to the serpent is One of the first prophecies that we really see, the first Easter egg that points us to what Jesus would fulfill on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection. We'll give the context in verse 14. that says, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, deceived Eve, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust in all the days of your life. And then verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That this paints the picture of a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that points to what Jesus is going to do, that the devil, the enemy would strike at Jesus' heel, that Jesus experienced an incredibly painful crucifixion. And he took all of that burden, all of those pains, it's by his stripes that we are healed. And he took all of that and he was struck down and he died. He wasn't asleep in the tomb. He didn't just take a nap. He wasn't kidnapped. He died. He was struck down. Yet, It's not the end of the story. See, God loves us. We blew it. Jesus paid for it. How? Because the enemy who was wanting to steal, kill, and destroy, the enemy who bit his heel, Jesus comes back and through his resurrection, he stomps on the head of the enemy. In other words, hopelessness doesn't win. Chaos doesn't win. Fear doesn't win. Brokenness doesn't win. Jesus wins. The enemy doesn't win, Jesus wins. Now we have to surrender our lives. God loves us, we blew it, Jesus paid for it and we must receive him. It's the fourth step in the gospel story. We must receive and we must surrender our own goodness and offer it up to God. say, like, God, whatever I have, it's not good enough to have a right relationship with you. We surrender that knowing that then Jesus will fill in the gaps. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the first Adam, his life, he was a living being. He was created. His life brought us death through sin the last Adam, Jesus, his death brought us life. See, Jesus fulfilled the pattern. He completed the task. He restored the relationship, and he provides us with life, eternal life that we've been created to have since the beginning. Now, I want to paint this picture where Herman Ritterboss is a theologian and he has a quotation I would like to share with you because we've been talking about Adam as the first Adam, the first man, and Jesus as the second man, as the last Adam. Here's what Herman says about these two dynamics. He says, Adam and Christ stand against each other as two great figures at the entrance of two worlds, two creations, the old creation and the new. He says, and in their actions and fates lie the decisions for all who belong to them, because all men are comprehended in them. What does that mean? What that means is that all of us, you, me, we, you will either live under the shadow of Adam, or you will live in the light of the second Adam of Jesus. You'll either live in the shadow of the first Adam or you will live in the light of the second. Because we live under the shadow of the first Adam when we buy into lies that we were told about ourselves, about our identity. We live in the shadow of Adam when we allow insecurities, when we allow our possessions to become our focus, when we get distracted, when we allow sin to overtake us, when we, allow, when we choose to not love or trust or obey God. We live under the shadow of Adam when we're living according to the way the world wants us to live. And that's the pattern that all of us have. Why? Because we've been infected with sinfulness since the beginning. Through the first man, Adam, sin came into the world and then death. So this is our natural bent is to live under the shadow of Adam. And if we never choose to receive Christ, then we will never live truly in the light of the second Adam. That I remember growing up and going, I love going to movie theaters, right? And um, I love being able to go see movies. Now, when movies are done, right, you typically exit through kind of the main hallway and you, know, you still get to smell popcorn and everything again. And, and but when I was growing up, the movie theater I would grow up in, or not grow up in, I didn't live there. Um, uh, the, the movie theater I would attend most often was one of the ones where when you finished the movie, they would just open up the, the doors right behind the screen. And so you're in this dark room for so long and then what, what happens if, that, if you've experienced that? What happens is, is you, you've been in the dark for so long and even if you're staring at a screen, you're in the dark so that when you, the door is open and you start to look outside, it's this moment of blindingness just a little bit. It's uncomfortable. That when we've been living under the shadows and we've been living in the darkness, light is uncomfortable. It reveals our brokenness. It, it blinds our eyes. It makes it hard for us to see. But that's no reason to stay in the shadows. We live in the shadows when we give given to sin and brokenness and temptation. We live in the light of Christ when we cling to hope and hopelessness. We cling to peace and chaos. We cling to um, love when the world seems unloving. We cling to joy in the midst of sorrow. We see clouds forming and we see rays of sunshine of light and we cling to the light, not get fearful of the cloud. See, it's not easy. It's not easy to fix our eyes and to live in the light of Christ. But it's good. And it's the life that we've been meant to have. The life where we get to have a relationship with God that we were always created to experience. But sin had separated us from it. So this week, as you... As you leave here today and as you're processing and you're thinking through stuff, perhaps if you're a journaler or maybe in your quiet time and if you're not a journaler, ask God, say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me ways I'm living in the shadow of Adam. What are the ways that I've given in to insecurities or fears or lies or temptations? God, help me. Help me to move out of the shadows into the light. It might be painful, but it's worth it. So we can experience life and life to the full, the life that Jesus came to give through his life, death, and resurrection. And we close because all of us need to wrestle with that today. And if if we all wrestled with where are we living in the shadow of the first Adam, so we may live in the light of the second. And if we lived in the light of the second Adam through Jesus Christ, then here's the thing. Jesus is our life giver. He's the life-giving spirit that breathes life into us, who created us. And here's the beauty, is that then we who were made in his image in the first place, now we can become life givers to those around us because we've been so filled with life that we can share life in a dark world, that we could be alive in a dark place, a city on a hill that can't be hidden, that we would shine like stars during a crooked and depraved generation. And that doesn't come from us trying to charge our own batteries or live in the shadows. That comes from a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, because we know that God loves us. We know that we blew it. We recognize that Jesus paid for it. And then we receive that gift, receive that life. So we too can be life givers just as Jesus offers to do for us. Father, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray, God, that you are speaking and moving and stirring hearts this morning, God, whether for people here in person or online. Lord, I pray that uh, you are meeting us where we are emotionally, relationally, spiritually. God, for some of us, this is a reminder of what we've known for decades. For some of us, this might be the first time we've heard it. But may all of us receive or or rather understand the great gift of Jesus Christ. May you make the gospel real to us, whether for the first time or the one millionth time. It doesn't matter how many times because your gospel can change us all the time. So Lord, we surrender this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.